0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Victory Monday to you. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Miami Dolphins 26-11, improving their record to 5-2 and collecting a seventh win in a row over the Miami Dolphins. So we're going to do what we normally do on a post-game reaction podcast. I'll break down the things I liked. I'll break down the things I didn't like. We'll take a spin around the AFC East. We'll look at my predictions, all that type of stuff. But I want to start with two things that are on my mind as I reflect upon what we watched on Sunday afternoon. Number one, it was a good reminder about division games and just how challenging they can be. Division games are tough, and the Bills have won eight in a row against the AFC East. They've beaten Miami seven in a row. The Bills are six and O oh against Brian Flores. It's hard to beat a team twice, right? You hear that all the time. It's hard to beat a team twice. Well, times that by three, and that's how many times in a row the Bills have beaten the Miami Dolphins under head coach Brian Flores. That's not easy to do. The reason division games are so difficult and challenging is the familiarity from playing each other, the familiarity from common opponents. You're seeing these teams so much. And I know that we expect the Bills to win these division games, especially right now, considering where New England, Miami, and the Jets are in their life cycle as a team and their quarterback situations and all that type of stuff, but they're still challenging games. Think about that game through the lens of a Miami Dolphins fan. You're sick and tired of getting beat by the Bills and being owned by Josh Allen. Probably feels a lot like we did against Tom Brady and New England for all those years. There were plenty of games where you felt like you had a chance, but you didn't win. And Miami probably felt that way. This was a three to three game at halftime. They probably felt like they should have had the lead going into halftime, but they had that fumble just before the end of the second quarter. They were threatening to at least come away with three points, if not a touchdown. Then they get it to 11 to 17 in the fourth quarter. They end up losing 26 to 11. Feels a lot like past Bill's Patriots games, but you just, at the end of the day, the superior team wins. You still have to go through the process, right? You have to play the whole game, the keep score the whole time, and it doesn't matter that you kept it close at halftime and that you had a chance in the fourth quarter. The better team wins, just like all those years that the Bills fell to the New England Patriots. So, number one, a very good reminder about division games and how challenging they can be despite you being the better football team. That familiarity... Makes it tough. I mean, Brian Flores has sat down with his coaching staff six times now to craft a game plan to beat the Buffalo Bills, and he's come up empty six times. That's not easy to do if you're the Buffalo Bills. So just keep that in mind. Number two, is the Bills coming off of the bye under Sean McDermott? He's 5-0 and now off the bye, but the team has come out flat and sluggish the last three years. This year, right, we just watched that game. Second fewest points the Bills scored all year. Second fewest yards on the season, only to week two against Miami. So it was a very flat team that we watched in the first half of that game. Go back to 2020. The game out of the bye was against the Los Angeles Chargers. The Bills won the game 27-17 over a 3-7 and Chargers team that was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. The Bills didn't play their best game. Josh wasn't crisp against Los Angeles last year. Found a way to win, but a sluggish game coming out of the bye. Then go back to 2019, at home, against Miami. The Bills were losing 14-9 going into the fourth quarter against an 0-6 Dolphins team. The Bills won 31-21 which was helped by Micah Hyde returning that onside kick for a touchdown to make it a bigger margin of victory. But this is three years in a row now that the Bills have come out of the bye extremely flat. Now, to their credit, they find a way to win football games, and that's all you can ask. But you kind of expect for the Bills to come out of these bye weeks playing a lot better than they have. Again, Sean McDermott, 5-0 coaching the Bills after a bye week. But there hasn't been that many style points, I'll tell you that. So those were the two prevailing thoughts that I wanted to get into before we talk specifics on the things I liked and didn't like. Division games and the Bills off the bye under McDermott, they've come out sluggish each of the last three years. So things I liked. Obviously, we have to start with the second-half response. And I really think offensively that was ignited by Cole Beasley. Had 10 catches for over 100 yards. And Cole Beasley just continues to be that guy that Josh Allen can go to to get him out of a rut. The offense wasn't clicking. They weren't running the football well. They weren't passing it well. But Josh Allen started to find Cole Beasley, which at times can be an extension of the run game. And he also found him on some plays, you know, in the intermediate area of the field. And it got the offense on track. And so Cole Beasley's value and importance to this team is very, very high. He's such a reliable target for Josh. And there's games where Cole Beasley's a prominent piece of the offense, there's some games where he's somewhat of an afterthought. But. There are also games like this where the Bills are fluttering on offense and Josh Allen can go to Cole Beasley knowing that he could find some rhythm and start moving the chains. I thought another part of that second-half response offensively was Zach Moss and his involvement in the passing game. Six catches, 39 yards, and it just helped Josh get some completions and find some rhythm. And Josh did find that efficiency, right? Three second-half touchdowns. Touchdown pass to Steph Diggs. Touchdown pass to Gabriel Davis. He had his own rushing touchdown. I mean, the offense very much woke up in the second half of the game. Scored 23 points in the second half. So I love the way the team responded in the second half. It was a really, really, really weird first half of that game. We'll talk more about it in things I didn't like, but the team came out flat. They went to the locker room, they made good adjustments, and played winning football in the second half. I really like how the ancillary weapons of this offense stepped up today. I already mentioned Zach Moss, six catches for 39 yards. His, his impact in the passing game was notable. How about Gabriel Davis? Four catches for 29 yards, including a touchdown on five targets. Gabe Davis made some significant plays in this game, and he has not been a very prominent piece of the offense this year, despite having a really good rookie campaign. And Gabe Davis is going to continue to have value as the team's fourth receiver, size and ball skills, and they love to put him in motion. And this is the type of role he can fill for the team. And I think it's the right role for him at this point in his career. How about Tommy Sweeney? Three catches, 30 yards, four targets. Some of those catches being pretty significant. So, you know, Cole Beasley had a big day. Steph Diggs had a touchdown, had a decent day. Emmanuel Sanders didn't have a catch. But meanwhile, you saw Zach Moss, Cole Beasley, and Tommy Sweeney make critical plays for this team when everything wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. And that's what you like to see. You like to see those guys step up and make plays, and they did. Some other positives on the offense. Three of four in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns, that's 75%. They did a good job with their red zone opportunities. Josh Allen didn't get sacked in this game, and they didn't turn over the football. And I think, I think the second half, the ancillary weapons, the red zone not getting sacked, and not turning over the football, I think those were the things that I liked about the Bills' offense on Sunday in the win over Miami. Continuing with things I liked from the football game, let's focus in on the defense that allowed just 11 points, only 16 first downs. Miami was limited to four of 14 on third down, one of three in the red zone. The Bills came away with two takeaways. They limited Miami to just 68 rushing yards on 23 carries. That's three yards on the dot per carry. And they did a good job containing Tua, who, as we stated, had his best two games as a pro in his last two games. Completed 75% of his passes the last two games. While on Sunday against the Bills, he completed just 53.9% of his passes, 21 completions, 39 attempts, and just 205 total yards to show for it. Leslie Frazier had a good game plan. Really liked how the cornerbacks played with inside leverage and forced throws from Tua to be outside the numbers. And so you really condense those windows that Tua can slot the football into. Meanwhile, you're challenging his limited arm strength. You're saying, okay, bud, if you're going to complete passes against us, you're going to have to do it outside the numbers. And you're going to have to dial up your fastball and see if you can fit it over there. And the reason I brought this up, and it seems like a very simple talking point, but I'm sure you've heard coaches talk about how their responsibility is to put their players in the best position to succeed. And this is a very practical application of, hey, We want you to play with inside leverage, funnel throws outside the numbers, and we're going to be successful if you do that. And then that happens and you continue to build this trust between players and coaches because the players are recognizing that they're being put in proper positions to succeed. And when that happens, the players continue more and more to trust the coaches and it's just beautiful synergy and what you're looking for in terms of coaches putting players in the right position to succeed. And Leslie Frazier continues to have good game plans. It's a good example of the Bills' corners trusting the technique that they've been asked to play with, executing, and having success. As far as individual standouts for the Bills' defense against Miami, we have to start with Ed Oliver. The box score will tell you he had two tackles, but his presence was absolutely felt. Getting into the backfield, applying pressure on the quarterback, making run stops behind the line of scrimmage, blowing up some plays. I mean, Ed Oliver was terrific. He played with great energy. You saw that, and his impact and presence was felt. He affected the football game. His running mate, Starla Tulele, he was outstanding did a great job of resetting the line of scrimmage over and over and over again, and that created opportunities for Ed Oliver to get into the backfield as well as for Tremaine Edmonds to trigger and get downhill and make plays. Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes were outstanding. They both recorded a sack, and they've been really good for two games in a row now. I thought, in particular, Addison was outstanding against Tennessee, and he was great again against Miami. Miami. Thought Greg Rousseau played really well. A couple of quarterback hits, and he played the run very well after having some shaky reps against Tennessee. Thought Tremaine Edmonds was terrific again. I mean, this guy's having a great season playing fast, physical, getting downhill, making impact tackles. Yeah, he missed that one tackle in space against Miles Gaskin, but I think otherwise Tremaine was terrific. Matt Milano played fast and physical. He was outstanding in coverage. I thought Trey White was tremendous in this game. For some reason, Tua kept throwing at him. And Trey White just kept forcing incompletions. Looked every bit of a shutdown corner on Sunday. Thought Levi Wallace played well. Was in good positions. Tight in coverage. He had one missed tackle, but for the most part, I thought he did a really good job of playing with good technique. And, um... Fulfilling his assignments. And Miami wasn't afraid to throw at Levi a little bit in this game. and I thought Levi did a good job of being in good position. Jordan Poyer had an interception tackle for a loss, a pass breakup. If Jordan Poyer's not an all-pro this year, <laughs> I just don't know what to say. The dude's having a great season, him and Micah Hyde back there. Playing as good as they ever have back there. You won't convince me Hyde and Poyer aren't the best safety tandem in the NFL. And I'll finish up the things I liked with Tyler Bass. I mean, this guy, I'll tell you what, he's a friggin' good kicker. Two of two on field goals, two of two on extra points, and those two field goals were significant. The first one, a 57-yard field goal, drilled it. The other one was a 39-yard field goal that put the Bills up two scores with 329 left in the game. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little nervous that the Bills took the clock all the way down and then called their last timeout and then kicked that field goal. In my mind, it was a one-score game. If you missed that field goal and Miami scored, that you'd want to have that timeout and as much clock as possible so that you can have a possession and give yourself a chance at the end. Well... Coach McDermott let the clock go all the way down, called his last time out, and his kicker went out there and drilled the 39-yard field goal to put him up two scores, and everything I was concerned about was a moot point. So Tyler Bass continues to be outstanding at kicker for the Buffalo Bills. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, You're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion, and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, folks, it's time to talk about the things I didn't like from this football game, and obviously, we have to start with the first half on offense. I mean, wow. <laughs> what a sluggish, flat offensive football team. In the first half, just looked nothing like the Buffalo Bills. Now, to their credit, they got out of the rut, scored 23 points in the second half. We know how it finished. But my goodness, that first half was just hard to watch, right? And I think a lot about Sean McDermott and this buzz phrase that he has this year about the offense being two-dimensional. And his goal is to be two-dimensional on offense and make other teams be one-dimensional on offense. Sounds good in your head, but I can do without some of those first-down runs. Miss me with the runs on second and long. And here's the reality, and this is going to sound weird coming from me. You ready for this? You need a worthy ball carrier if you want to be a two-dimensional offense. The worst parts of the Bills' offense are the two guards, and the overall running backs, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Your desire to be a two-dimensional offense means leaning on some of the worst parts of your offense. When you throw the football, you've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Josh Allen and arguably the best wide receiver core in the NFL, headlined by Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders. When you run the football, it's Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and relying on below-average guards to create movement up front. Every time the Bills hand the ball off, it's a win for the defense. Singletary and Moss, they're just not dynamic enough football players. They don't create enough on their own. They don't take advantage of a lot of the space that they're given. I mean, Zach Moss literally runs to contact. He loves to find contact. Like, dude... Angle away from the tacklers and try to gain more yards. Devin Singletary just lacks the foot fire to be dynamic. So if you want to be a two-dimensional offense, like have somebody worth giving the football to. If you're going to do that in lieu of throwing the ball with Josh Allen and all the great receivers that the Bills have. So I understand this idea of being two-dimensional on offense. But Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are just simply not dynamic football players. Now, this isn't me saying I want the Bills to pick a running back in the first round or that I want the Bills to sign some running back to a massive contract in free agency. That is not what I'm saying. But use some modest resource out there to get yourself a worthy ball carrier if you truly want to be this two-dimensional offense that you keep preaching about. Because right now, I feel like they're banging their head against the wall, trying to be two-dimensional. And we saw that against Tennessee. We saw it again against Miami. I thought the rush offense has been better this year. But it continues to be a point of emphasis to the point where I'm like, the Bills got to have something more dynamic carrying the football. Moss and Singletary are perfectly fine backup caliber running backs. But they're just not dynamic enough to take the football out of Josh Allen's hands, to make him be a handoff guy, and to make your really good receivers just blockers. And I talked about this a bit during the comprehensive primer when I gave you my keys for the Bills offense against the Dolphins defense. And I talked about how the Bills had rushing success against Miami in week two. And that I was fearful that the Bills would be overly committed to running the football this time around because of that success that they had. And of course, this buzzy phrase that Sean McDermott keeps preaching about being two-dimensional on offense. And then if you recall, I talked about Raekwon Davis being on the team now, right? He was injured in week two and couldn't play. And I talked about how good of a run-stopping one tech he was and my goodness, if he didn't dominate right like I thought Raekwon Davis was terrific against the Bills he was a real problem to the Bills running the football but there were also instances in this game where I felt like the Bills offensive line reset the line of scrimmage and Singletary and Moss just didn't get any yards when you reset the line of scrimmage in the NFL like you need to get two three four yards on runs like that not just plot into the back of your blockers and fall down So, I know if I was sitting down with Brian Dable talking about being a more pass aggressive team, he would probably tell me about Pittsburgh in week one and how they went out in 10 personnel and did all these empty spread formations and they just didn't have success offensively. To which I would say, that's because you couldn't block Cam Hayward and TJ Watt and Melvin Ingram. That's why that failed. And I'm not calling for never running the football, but I want to see the Bills be a little bit more pass aggressive on offense and quit forcing this two dimensional thing. Like, run the ball when you need to. And they're also running the ball in such predictable moments where it's like obvious by personnel groupings and the offensive line splits that they're going to run the football. I think they just have to do a better job with some of the design elements and not be so committed to it. <laughs> like, I, just, I, I know that the Bills are still a pass-aggressive team. Like, I get that. But it's hard to watch the Tennessee game and this Miami game and feel like the Bills should run the ball as much as they have. It's not the best thing that you do. So don't make it such a prominent part of your offense. All right, let's move on. Vernon Butler. This guy's active for the game, makes no impact. His most notable contribution was getting flagged for illegal hands to the face and taking away a third down stop for the Bills and giving the Dolphins an automatic first down. Vernon Butler's the 14th highest paid player on the team. The 14th largest player. Cap commitment on the team belongs to Vernon Butler. And he deserves to be a healthy scratch every week. Just makes no impact. He's a net negative to this football team. I did not love Cole Beasley throwing the football into double coverage. Like, all right, cool, I'm here for some creativity. But, buddy, I know you want that passing touchdown, but don't throw it into double coverage when one of those players is like Xavier Howard, who's one of the best ball hawks in the NFL. I can't believe Howard didn't pick that off. So I didn't love that. Didn't love John Feliciano in this game. Thought he struggled, and obviously the illegal block penalty was one that I didn't care for, and to me that's just a lack of commitment to fundamentals. Everybody knows that you can't go low out in space anymore when you're blocking Bobby Johnson's obviously made that a big point of emphasis in coaching this Bills offensive line, and John Feliciano had a mental breakdown doing that. Hurt the team. I don't like that the Bills had to change three spots on the offensive line to replace one player. Talked about this a few weeks ago when Deion Dawkins got injured. Well, this time Spencer Brown's not available. Darrell Williams goes from right guard to right tackle. John Feliciano goes from left guard to right guard. Ike Bakker comes into the lineup and goes to left guard. You have to change three spots because one player went down. That's just not helpful. I know that Deion Dawkins commented on this after the game and talked about how we all know how to talk to each other and the communication's good and we know how to play with each other, but it's just not ideal. Offensive line is about five guys working together as one unit. And by switching around three spots because you have to replace one player, to me that just creates a lot of very unnecessary challenges. I would fight hard to do other things to replace one player outside of switching around three different spots. I did not like Isaiah McKenzie's muff. That was a poor decision to field that football, and then you didn't field it well. And you almost gave the Miami Dolphins a touchdown there. Awesome play by Jake Kumaro to recover that football. It results in a touchback. No harm, no foul. But, dude, that's exactly the stuff that I was nervous about when the Bills committed to Isaiah McKenzie as their punt returner. You have to make good decisions, and you have to field the ball cleanly. And that was almost a disaster. Jake Kumaro saves the day, but... Isaiah McKenzie's not going to make me feel more confident about him as the Bills' primary punt returner when things like that happen. And the last thing I didn't like is Matt Hawk, the punter. I mean, he's just not a good punter, right? But we knew this. We knew that he's not a very good punter, and his value is as an outstanding holder and having consistency with Tyler Bass. And so this is just always going to be give and take. Buffalo is going to have very uneven punting but outstanding holding for Tyler Bass. And so if you like consistent 50-yard field goals and Tyler Bass being near automatic all the time, then you have to live with inconsistent punts. And that's a decision that the Bills made because Corey Bajorquez might be the best punter in the NFL right now, but he's still a bad holder. When Mason Crosby missed three field goals in a row a few weeks ago, he lost his mind yelling at Corey Bohorquez for bad holds. And so this is about Tyler Bass. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but this holding thing is important. And the Bills, I don't think they plan on punting that much. And so the emphasis is on this guy's ability to hold. And so for as long as Matt Hawks, the punter for the Bills... I think this is the trade-off that we have to accept because they love Matt Hawk. The holder Matt Hawk. The punter is not good. Did you know that bill bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They have coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint, brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, orange, salted caramel, and strawberry. So many great flavors. And look, maybe you don't know where to start, but you want to try the flavors Get yourself a mixed box. That's where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. Try them all and see which ones are your favorites. And not only are Built Bars the best tasting protein bars on the planet, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. I've got a deal for you. Go to BiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BiltBar.com. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey, it's all in season right now with the World Series underway. Football is at the halfway point of the regular season. Basketball and, and NHL, they've just kicked off their seasons, and as always, bet online remains the number one spot to bet on all of the sports action this season. Head to their new updated website and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, let's uh, close things out here today by checking in on my predictions, doing a quick AFC East roundup, and talking about what's next for the Bills and this podcast. So as far as my predictions, the first thing I predicted was 350 total yards and three touchdowns from Josh Allen. I got the three touchdowns, but I came short on the yards. He only got 304 total yards, so that's a no. I predicted a red zone touchdown percentage for the Bills of 75% or better, and they did that. They scored a touchdown on three of their four trips to the red zone against Miami. Number three, I said someone is getting their first sack of the season on defense. That didn't happen. The Bills recorded two sacks, one by Jerry Hughes, one by Mario Addison, and Oliver was pretty close. I thought he almost had one early in the game to have found a way to get that ball off, but... uh, It didn't happen, so I missed on that prediction. The next thing I said was that Miami would either have a surprise onside kick, fake field goal, fake punt, or a pass thrown by a non-quarterback. That did not happen. There was a couple times where Sean McDermott had the uh, starting defense on the field in case of a fake punt, but uh, the Dolphins didn't play with the desperation I thought they would. And lastly, I predicted that the Bills would win, and they did Just that. So I went uh, two for five. Um, So not a great day in terms of predicting, but I was close on a couple of the the ones that I missed. Uh, As for the AFC East roundup, the Bills improved to five and two. The Dolphins are now one and seven, and the Bills are in first place in the AFC East, fourth in the AFC behind the Titans, Raiders, and Ravens. So the Bills currently the four seed in the AFC playoffs. The Patriots are four and four after beating the Los Angeles Chargers 27 to 24, and the Jets beat the Bengals and improved to two and five. Zach Wilson, their rookie quarterback, was out for this game. Mike White came in and played. He was 37 of 45, 405 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. And Robert Saleh, the Jets head coach, said anything is possible when asked about Mike White being the long-term answer for the Jets at quarterback. So. That should be interesting to monitor that situation. Next for the Bills is a road date with the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh, next for this podcast is going to be herd mentality tomorrow. We'll give you the comprehensive primer on the Jacksonville Jaguars on Wednesday. Thursday, we'll talk to On Jaguars for the crossover preview. Friday, we'll do leftover thoughts. We'll talk to banged up Bills about the injuries, give you my game predictions and NFL draft prospects to watch on Saturday. And then on Saturday, it's tailgate talk. So Five more episodes of Locked on Bills coming your way this week. So make sure that you are subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Enjoy this Victory Monday, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.